This is Publishers Weekly Radio, the authority on all things books and publishing, with everything you need to know from your favorite books and the world in which they live to bestseller lists and publishing news. Here's the inside story on your favorite story. Publishers Weekly Radio, with your hosts, Rose Fox and Mark Rotella. Hello and welcome to Publishers Weekly Radio on the web at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio and streaming free on iHeartRadio, iTunes, and audiobookradio.net. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly, and we're bringing you the very best author interviews directly from PW's offices in New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. Here's one of our favorite interviews from the PW Radio Archives. We hope you enjoy it, and check our site on September 14th for our brand new show, PW Insider. Welcome back. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio, direct from the PW offices in New York City. Today we've got Ilyasa Shabazz on the line. Her new book is X, a novel. Hi, Ilyasa. So glad you could join us. Thank you. So this book is a fictionalized account of the boy who became your father, Malcolm X. How did the idea of telling the story in this way come to you? Um, it just, it, w- it was just a given. Um, you know, when I read books and I'm reading about a particular character, um, I want to hear directly from the character. And so it just seemed, you know, just like it, it was a no-brainer to make it a first-person uh, story. So the idea came to you, like even the, the first-person aside, to write about your father as a young boy. What, how, how did that idea come to you? Well, you know, I kept getting copies of books that were referencing my father's childhood and it was so it was so incorrect and <laughs> mm. you know I was compelled to, to make sure that I wrote a story that um, provided accurate information about his childhood you know in order uh, for any young man to grow up and become this iconic figure you have to have some uh, foundation, and many people thought that Malcolm went to jail as an older man and miraculously became Malcolm X, rather that he went to jail at a, at a young age, and it was the events that happened in his childhood that would eventually lead him, uh, you know, as a young adult trying to find himself in pain. Um, from losing his father, from the, the, the dismantling of his family, um, and sometimes finding uh, that you're not worthy of anything better, that would he, where he would ultimately uh, go to jail at a young age. And so I just wanted to make sure that I provided that kind of story, especially for young people um, who find themselves in challenges. Uh, and at least you can see uh, by, uh, by Malcolm's life, he was able to go deep inside himself and, and, and make good decisions um, as he became an adult. So tell us, how old was he when he went to jail? What was it for? And how did he change when he came out? He was 20 when he went to jail. And it was for fa- petty theft and burglary. Mm-hmm. Well, petty fa- theft, burglary, I guess it's the same thing. And um, it was him and uh, two girlfriends that they were dating white girlfriends at the time and uh, the girls got let off and they felt that their their um, sentencing was 
rather severe because, you know, they were two young African-American boys dating uh, white girls. And um, so he went to jail, and it was time for him to really sit down and reflect on his life, uh, being back in touch with his siblings who were in the Midwest in Lansing and who encouraged him to embrace this religion, which reminded them much of the Garvey movement that, um, you know, the values that his parents had raised them on. And so he became a Muslim, and all of the uncertainties that he had in his life, um, that, you know, with his father being gone, but remembering the, the um, things that he had told him as a child, you can be anything, you're going to be a leader, you're going to mm. do these great things. Black is great, black is beautiful. But, and now being in a place where he can say, okay, you know, he's learning about this new religion, which is encouraging um, pride in, in who he was and his, in his culture, uh, finding his identity, all of these things. And, and then being able to actually become a lawyer without going to, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, he said he wanted to be a lawyer when he was very young, uh, 12 years old. His uh, favorite teacher, Mr. Ostrowski, basically said, young man, you know, you are a Negro and you cannot aspire to be a lawyer. You have to be realistic and, you know, do some something with your hands, carpentry. Um, and so, you know, all of these things really uh, seem to have had such a profound effect on Malcolm, as it would any young child, mm-hmm. and especially when your parents aren't there to guide you. And so it was. he was fortunate that, um, you know, being more enlightened about society, about history, that he was able to uh, internalize uh, all of the things that he had gone through to um, do something great. And I just wanted to remind listeners that this is a children's book. This is a book written for uh, uh, children. I think I think the age said uh, five and up, uh, or maybe it's a little bit older than that. Oh, gosh. Okay, so I wrote Malcolm Little, the boy who grew up to become Malcolm X just last year. That's the children's illustration book, which is actually really good. Yeah. And it, that focuses on the absolute time that he was born, up until he was about um, 12. And then the YA novel, which is uh, X, Right. that is from grade 8 on up to college. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So how was it? Writing that, uh, keeping in mind the age of your potential readers, what were some of the things you wanted to bring out to a young reader, and how how was it that you approached it? Well, I really wanted to make sure that young readers could find themselves in Malcolm. Mm -hmm. You know, that no matter what challenge you have, or maybe you have no challenges, then if you have no challenges, maybe you'll be more compassionate. Um, um, maybe you'll, you know, we want all young people to, to believe that they're worthy of a quality education and that they're worthy of leadership, that they're worthy of making smart decisions, um, that, that, their value, that, their, that we value uh, the decisions that they make. All of these things um, I thought were important um, to 
connecting with the reader. Um, and I felt that there was lots of Malcolm that um, that they would find you know, that they would find that they had much in common with um, this young man, this boy, um, and that they too could go and do great things for society. So race and religion, obviously, are both very important to the story, and also they can be very tricky to write about, uh, especially when you're dealing with the predominantly white publishing industry, where I'm sure people had comments that weren't necessarily about where you were coming from. How did you handle all of that? What was your approach? Well, you know, I think we have to be realistic about history, and we have to be realistic about um, you know, the people who make up our country, and you know it's, and so just including the the facts or historical facts in history, um, you know we look at um, many of the um, young boys who have been killed, but yet we have who are happen to be African American, but yet we have all people you know, regardless of where they're from, who are standing up against uh, that and saying that all lives matter, black lives matter. And outside of being Malcolm's daughter, obviously, uh, what kind of research did you do? Oh, gosh. Um, My research uh, began such a long time ago when I wrote Growing Up Acts. Um, I got a chance to talk to many of my aunts and uncles who are now deceased, unfortunately, except for the, my eldest aunt, Hilda. She's still alive. And so listening to all these fantastic stories of their childhood, um, you know, how just all these really great stories about their childhood, and then speaking to a lot of people who, had, uh, who were original members of the OAAU, which was the organization that my father had founded, um, speaking to family members, um, neighbors, you know, who were in uh, Lansing during the time that my grandmother was, my grandmother and my grandfather were there. Um, You know, it was really, it was exciting research, I have to say, and probably because he is my father. And just to be able to um, go along that young journey of his and see this this man that he would ultimately become. So, you know, I'd like to hear a little bit more. You've already discussed a little bit about his childhood, but what was his uh, youth like? Oh, gosh. You know, I look at my childhood and I see the excitement, the camaraderie, the humor, you know, all of the fun that you have when you when you grow up with a lot of siblings, and my father had seven siblings wow. um, in his immediate family, right? And they lived on a farm, and their home was, from what I understand, they had this backyard area where all the kids would come and they would play Robin Hood. And, and remind us where this was. Uh, this was in uh, Lansing, Michigan. That's right. Yes, it was in the Midwest, and. You know, my grandfather purchased this land, and it was white reserved only, so it was this black family, but it was the white children that would still come, you know, at, at that time, you're, you, you're, 
oblivious to racism. And so they would all come and they would play, um, as one of my uncles would, uh, said, um, what was that game? Robin Hood. And Malcolm would always be the leader. Mm. And um, everyone would follow after Malcolm. Whatever Malcolm said to do, everyone did it. So, you know, it was just, just having fun, having all these siblings. Um, his father was a Garveyite, which was the Marcus Garvey movement, and, uh, and a minister. And so he would go and speak to many black uh, communities and inspire them um, to their their own value. You know, it was up, up, you mighty race, you can accomplish what you will. To be independent, it was during the time of the Great Depression and the Jim Crow era that Malcolm's mother was a, love, or a lover for education, and she made sure that she instilled these values into her children um, to be compassionate, uh, you know, regardless of whether it's um, insects or people that it was important to have compassion for any breathing um, human being. So, you know, they grew up with really good values. And um, his mother was the uh, national recording secretary for this movement, which commanded millions of followers in the 1920s. And his father was the president of uh, the chapter um, in Milwaukee. And, and, and actually, there's a letter that's floating around the Internet um, where his father, Earl Little, as the president of the Milwaukee chapter of the Marcus Garvey movement, had written a letter to President Coolidge um, uh, when Marcus Garvey was arrested for the, the supposed uh, mail fraud, and he encouraged President Coolidge to release Marcus Garvey, and, and he c compared it to... Uh, you know how you will be blessed by God and the and the people, and you'll be remembered in history, and all these things. And when you read the letter, it sounds so much like the man who would become Malcolm X. And so you get to see that Malcolm came from this really dynamic um, beginnings. And you know, once the KKK killed his father, and several years later, six or seven years later, um, his mother was. Um, taken to an institution and that the siblings were dismantled, you get to see, you know, all of the things that would happen to any young child who, who might not have the, the love and direction of his parents. And, and, you know, I had listened to something that uh, uh, Al Sharpton had said about his childhood. It's one thing to have your parents and, and you know, the fine things in life and when it's taken from you, you're, you're angry and you're in pain. It's one thing that this happens when you have, how did he put it? So, in so many words, if you've never had that, you are not going to be as angry. Right. Or I shouldn't say that you're not going to be as angry. You, he was enraged. But he identified young men that he could emulate. He decided he was going to be a reverend by looking at Reverend Ike, I think it was. And then it was James Brown with his hairstyle. And so, you know, for Malcolm, I, I you know, thought about that. And you can see the different men who he came in contact with that he emulated. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go away. 
Book lovers everywhere love Publishers Weekly Radio, now on iHeartRadio.com. PW Radio brings you the best of books and book publishing news. PW editors Rose Fox and Mark Rotella offer lively interviews with your favorite authors and conversations with new authors you'll want to get to know. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella. Join the community of book lovers at PW Radio. Every Friday and now on demand at iHeartRadio.com. Welcome back. We're talking with Ilyasa Shabazz, who's the author of X, a novel, a retelling of the childhood years of Malcolm X for a young adult audience. So um, when you were doing all of this research, talking with your, your aunts and uncles and accumulating all of this wealth of anecdotes, how did you choose what to eventually include in the book? Because I'm sure you couldn't include everything. Um, I think the things that were uh, important, the things that were relevant to young people today, um, you know, we all start off as young, impressionable children, and it's the adults around us who will define whomever we become. And so I wanted to be responsible, and I wanted to um, have to provide an opportunity through my father's life, and, and, you know, it's historical fiction, so, you know, most of these um, events did, did occur, so, and I wanted to provide a storyline that young people could read and also could adapt to their own personal lives, and, and at the end of it, understand that, that it is the young people who will grow up and will become the leaders, the future leaders, and that we will rely on them and, and that they are aware that they must give something back to society. You know, and and picking one of the anecdotes you chose, and I think you had alluded to this to uh, earlier, um, there's one instance which we um, quoted in our uh, starred review of your book, um, where I think it was... Malcolm X's favorite teacher uh, had said to him, in here, I, something along the lines of paraphrasing, you're great, out there, you're just an N-word. Right. right. What, I, that must have been devastating to him to hear this from right. his favorite teacher. How did that resonate with him, and what actions of his came out of that? Well, what, what we see is that you know, it was already challenging enough that he lost his father, he lost his mother, um, he was no longer with his siblings. And to now be in another environment and, you know, you know, as he said, he thought his name was the N-word because that's what everybody called him, not, mm. not intentionally um, trying to hurt him, but, you know, that's just, you know, the way it was. And so... I would imagine that Mr. Ostrowski, you know, he said in the autobiography that that was his favorite teacher, it was his history teacher, and that when Mr. Ostrowski said that, it must have been a big punch in the stomach, you know, because it seemed shortly after that, Malcolm decided he wanted to go to Boston, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and and we see what happened when he went to Boston and then New York and you know he just kind of spiraled out of control and i think it's it's this feeling of um despair you know you want to be a lawyer you want to help people you feel that the sky's the limit he's the president of his class why can't he be a lawyer 
And for someone to just shoot him down, you know, I would imagine uh, for any young person that, you know, that's got to be pretty devastating. So uh, when you were putting this book together, you worked with Kekla Magoon, who's the author of How It Went Down. Tell us about that collaboration, um, how it came about and how the two of you worked together. Yes. Kekla is so magnificent. I mean, she she's, oh my gosh, she was such a joy to work with. Um, she's fast. She's insightful. She's extremely creative. And um, we got together. Actually, you know, we looked at several collaborators. And um, I think once we came across Kekla, we just thought she was a godsend. And um, she, you know, she came to my home. We talked about this story. I wanted to make sure that this wasn't one of those stereotypical black stories, you know, mm-hmm. from the South, illiterate you know, destitute, etc., and that we focused on the real um, foundation of my father. Um, and so we exchanged stories. I gave her so many of my um, lectures that I had done, um, so many writings, and she uh, reread the autobiography um, and, and my book, Growing Up X, and we just... She would write, I would write, and we would go back and forth until finally um, we thought it was a finished product. And um, then with Andrea uh, Tampa at uh, at uh, Candlewick, she reviewed it, and you know she had a, a, an excellent eye. And before you know it, we had the novel. <laughs> so, how was writing this for teens uh, different from writing your memoir, Growing Up X, which was aimed at adults? Well, when I wrote Growing Up X, it was shortly after my mother passed away. And I really didn't think that there was much, I mean, what did I think that, that much about my life that would be um, interesting? And, um, but what I found, or I should say, I wanted to write about my childhood more about the, the values and the things that my mother did, because you know she, I, you know she passed away, and it was one of my um, most challenging times in my life, obviously, and I wanted to give something back to her. When I took a step back and I looked at her life as just a woman, not my mother, and I looked at the things that she had uh, experienced and the person that she was in spite of all of the, the, the things that she experienced. She was kind, loving, just all of these really wonderful things. And I don't say it because she's my mother again. It was just looking at this woman, and I felt that I wanted to share that. I had many young girls who I mentored because they didn't have uh, relationships with their mothers, and I realized that we are not all fortunate enough to have such relationships, and I wanted to share that. So writing that, and then writing my father's, um, this book for my father, um, it could have been very similar, because, you know, I've always, you know, it's just something that I feel I want to share, I want to inspire, I want to motivate, um, I want to give love, you know, to children who might not necessarily have love. You know, I'm very fortunate that and my sisters, that my mother, you know, she over, she, she, she over gave. You know, she gave us so, she showered us with love. Um, Camille Cosby 
had written a testimonial from my Growing Up X book, and I really didn't understand what she meant at the time, but I came to understand what she meant was that, you know, Betty showered her children with love, and that every child is not, um, does not have the opportunity to have a relationship with a parent who will give them so much love and attention. Um, tell us a little bit more about the mentoring work that you do. I'm curious about that. Um, let's see. Well, gosh, for as long as I can remember, um, I've always mentored in some way. And maybe I was emulating my mother because I think my mother, you know, did that. And, I mean, I could tell you a story about my mother. Um, she was a um, – her mother had her out of wedlock, and – her mother was sent south, as many women, you know, during the, you know, the early days, 50s, 60s, etc., 40s, 30s, I should say, 20s, they were sent south if they got pregnant to have this baby, and then they would go back home. And so that happened to my mother, and when my mother became an adult, she founded um, YMED, Young Mothers Educational Development Program, which was for young girls, unwed, who would find themselves pregnant and rather be sent south and interrupt their education and, and likely never to graduate high school, let alone college. She founded this program so that they could go to school and then the, the, the Mount Vernon Daycare Center, where they, once they had the babies, that they had a place where they would be taken care of while they were still going to school. And she was also, um, um, I believe the chairperson of the Westchester Daycare Council. So it says so much about my mother, and having her as a role model, I did the same. You know, not I wouldn't compare myself to her because I think she really. I mean, she just did so many like really great things. But having her as a role model, um, you know, at, when I was in high school, you know, I, I worked at uh, was a division for youth lockup facility. I didn't work there, but we would go there and we would mentor the students in math and, and so forth. So much that I thought I was going to be a math major when I went to college, and then when I started taking linear math, I said, oh my gosh, this is definitely <laughs> not... <laughs> I made a mistake. I do not want to be a mathematician. But, um, you know, things like that. So I've always um, been being up, up in college, you know, working at, uh, what was it, division? It was, you know, whatever, DFY division for youth. Um, the Graham home was in uh, Dobbs Ferry during high school. So I've just always done something with mentoring young people. So on that front, um, I'm sure a lot of the kids who are reading your book are aspiring writers themselves. Um, do you have any advice, particularly for young writers of color, young marginalized writers growing up right now and, and how they might realize their dreams? Yes, I think that every child should write their biography, you know, and if you find, if you're passionate about publishing, then you pursue it, persevere all the way till the end until you actually accomplish your goal, your dream. Um, I think it is important um, to have diversity in a lot of books that we read. It's an opportunity for us to learn uh, about others, about other cultures, about other ethnicities, about different genders, you know, so many different things. And um, in order to have diversity, um, it means that we have to 
um, you know, encourage those young writers to just really um, pursue their dreams and make sure that the stories are inclusive of all. I like what you said about every child should write his or her biography. I, I think that's that's I think a wonderful uh, piece of advice for them. Uh, yeah. it, it helps put their lives into context with others, and it, it forces them to be kind of made aware of what else is going on around them. That's so true. You know, when I did Growing Up X, I realized that my father, you know, he was assassinated when I was not quite three years old. And shortly after, my uncle came came to town, my father's eldest brother, Wilford, came to town, and we were at this place where my father's car was. And so as I got older, I, I realized that it was at the Malcolm X College. Mm. My father's car, his Oldsmobile, is still, you know, it's in the, it's there. And I remember just crying so hard when he was leaving. And what that told me was that, I, you know, even though I was so young when my father was killed, I still made the connection between my uncle and my father. I, you know, I was about five years old at the time. And, and so there are so many things that you can discover about yourself when you write your biography. And, it, and it's so important to know, especially when you then get into relationships, to know all there is to know about yourself before getting into a relationship. You know, so there's just so many benefits to writing your own biography. Whether you publish it or not, you can give it to your children. You know, you can, there's so many wonderful things that you can do with it. So true. So tell us, what's next for you? Ooh, what's next? What's next is, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I want to do this, like, women's liberation kind of book about my mother and, mm-hmm. and many of the women from um, the 60s and 70s. So that's what's next for me. Well, you know, it, it, that is, I think, really interesting because um, people like your mother and women of that generation have often been overlooked, especially, I, I think, alongside such a powerful public man as your father. Yes, yes. And um, when my father was killed, we moved to uh, Mount Vernon, and it was... Bella Abzug, Congresswoman Bella Abzug and her husband, um, two Jewish, you know, Jewish couple, both attorneys, uh, they were doing a lot, they worked for the, in the civil rights movement as well, and they reached out to um, Juanita Poitier, who was mm. Sidney Poitier's wife, um, Ozzy Davis, Ruby Dee, it was a bunch of, of um, artists um, uh, in the 60s. And one, and they sold their house to my mother, beautiful home where we were raised. And they sold my their house, their home to my mother. It was a group of women, and um, sold it at a lower price because Bella Abzug was concerned about Betty. Mm. So there's such a story, you know, Bella Abzug, the women's movement, mm-hmm. um, sure. the women's liberation movement. So I mean, there's such a wonderful story about sisterhood, about being friends and, and, and that. And so I think, you know, another opportunity to talk about history and, and the importance of history. Well, that sounds amazing, and I can't wait to read it. Yay. <laughs> We've been talking with Ilyasa Shabazz, and you can find her book, X, a novel, in stores right now. Ilyasa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella, and this is Publishers Weekly Radio.
Beyond the Headlines, Beyond the Routine, Beyond the Book, I'm Chris Keneally, host of Copyright Clearance and his podcast series, Beyond the Book. And I'm Andrew Albanese, senior writer at Publishers Weekly. Join us each Friday for a publishing news week in review podcast unlike any other. Learn all the breaking news and catch the best analysis on developments in the book trade, copyright law, and much more. You already know business as usual. Now go Beyond the Book. Listen to the free series and subscribe at beyondthebook.com. And that's it for today's show. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella, and you've been listening to Publishers Weekly Radio. You can listen to this and every episode of Publishers Weekly Radio absolutely free at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. Subscribe to our podcasts on iHeartRadio and iTunes, and hear every new episode streamed live on audiobookradio.net. Check those sites every week for a brand new episode giving you the inside story on your favorite story. And don't forget, PW Insider launches on September 14th. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Publishers Weekly Radio Show. 